Hello and welcome back to Hardly Flowering. It's me, Catherine, still here. And today I'm going to be going over a poem by Emily Dickinson. It's the one that begins, Essential Oils Are Rung. Um, so welcome and I hope you enjoy. Right, so what I'm going to be doing is just sort of bringing you through how I would approach a poem, how I would read it, and I know I have a lot of weird things that I do when I read poetry, so if you want to know what those are, just keep listening, that's what you're about to hear. Um, so before I get started, it if you are listening to this, it would really help if you are looking at the same poem, and especially um, if you're familiar with Emily Dickinson at all, her poems are kind of a beautiful mess in the sense that none of them are titled people try to make different editions of them, they get edited, which I think is cruel and should never be done, but we can talk more about that in a minute. Um, but the essential point is they all have a different numbering system. Each edition that I have ever seen of Emily Dickinson has a different numbering system because she left this stuff in a pile under her bed and people have different ideas on how to organize it for sort of public consumption, if you will. So the version I'm looking at is the one with all the dashes. I so many editors, and I guess it was a big thing as well, a little, I guess, I would say more recently, editions have tried to keep Emily Dickinson's actual punct punctuation, which is just the dash, which she uses amazingly and all the time, and it's actually the only thing she uses, um, but a lot of previous editions did tend to edit it, and so you'll see, if you see an em Emily Dickinson poem with a semicolon in it, that should be a giant red flag that that did not happen so what I like to do if I can is go to one of those Emily Dickinson trust websites there's one from her house at Amherst and one of them there's a bunch of ones you can find on the web maybe I'll link to them or something and they have many in many cases the original images they scan in the pages for the poem so if you can find that use that because that is straight from the horse's mouth as it were that's the actual original edition of the poem, and you can get so much from the way it's written, even just on the page. It just feels more, I don't know, special, I guess, to have that kind of connection reading Emily's own handwriting. Um, not that I'm her biggest fan at all, um, but if you are like me and sometimes lazy, you can look it up this particular edition that I'm using. I forgot the name of the website. Oh yeah, it's the AmericanPoems.com. Um, so if you just look up essential oils are wrong, AmericanPoems.com, that will come up. And the reason I would recommend that one is because it has the same punctuation with the placement of the dashes and the capitalization as well. That's super important. And that's the one I'm using. So now that we've got that out of the way, just take a second, Google that, and we can get started. So I'll just read the poem through. And I'll, I'll read it through once, and I apologize because I hate the way I read poetry. Like, I just, if I hear myself saying it, it sounds so much better in my head that I can never get it. I, it just, it's always worse. It's just worse when I read it out loud. Um, but anyway, I, I do have to read it, so I will do that. And then I'll read it through again, sort of going through really slowly, trying to unpack as much as I can, because this poem is only, it's only eight lines. It's two short stanzas, four lines each. Um, but there's so much packed in, as we will get to later. So, here it is. 
Essential oils are wrung, the attar from the rose, be not expressed by suns alone, it is the gift of screws. The general rose decay, but this in ladies' drawer makes summer, when the lady lie in ceaseless rosemary. So that's it. Eight lines. Short. As always, you can sing it to the Yellow Rose of Texas if you will feel inclined. Um, but this is a beautiful, beautiful... It's just gems. The, way th the reason that I love the way Emily Dickinson writes is when you see the poem as well as hearing it, I, I personally find it almost easier to see the poem because the way the dashes are placed, the way that those certain words are capitalized, she's highlighting little gems. Her poems to me are like kaleidoscopes where she as a poet has very carefully chosen these beautiful little precious stones of just like chunks of words and she puts them all in and she puts them in very carefully. So when you look into it and you turn it, it seems almost, it seems chaotic. It's hard to figure out what's going on. But if you pay attention, the colors she's chosen weave together so skillfully that from what appears to be chaos and something very vague and unclear, you can actually see she is sending a very clear message just in a very colorful and sort of, I guess, less structured way, which really appeals to me. Uh, that is why I love her poetry. So I'm going to just take it kind of dash by dash. And that's, it's usually, I find it helpful. You just read to the first dash, pause, think about that little nugget of words, read to the next dash, think about that. And you, it's almost more helpful to me than reading line by line, but obviously everyone has their own method. Um, so we'll do the dash by dash, then we'll get the big picture of the poem and hopefully it will make sense. So the first two words are the first dash chunk, if we want to call it that, essential oils. And they're both, both capitalized. I mean, obviously essential is the beginning of the poem and the sentence, so that has to be, but she's capitalized oils as well. Um, and now, obviously, I love essential oils because they're just great and just smell wonderful. But in this case, I think that we can, her choosing to use the word essential, which may not have had the kind of, I mean, now it's just, that's the brand name, but you know, you could have come up with a different name at that point for this perfume that might've been a little more common, but I mean, I'm not, actually, I, I mean, I'm not the best historian, so don't super quote me on that. But what I'm saying is the word essential here is important as we go through the poem, and especially it's the first word, it's the opening. It tells us what we're concerned with in this poem, and that's the essence of things, right? So the, this whole poem is about the essence of rose. On the surface, that's what it's about. Essential oil is the essence of this flower, which you have squeezed and pressed, which we're going to do later into a bottle for use on people's perfume and whatever else they want to use it for. Um, but the, that word is what I want to really focus on in this first dash, essential oils. Um, in this, we get the image of the essence. It's the soul of the rose and the sun and the summer, and it's going to be wrenched out from it. And oil as well. I mean, she's capitalized it, so I think she wants us to pause a little bit here. But there's just, it's just the sort of usual oil symbolism, sort of something very healing. So the essence of the rose, I just want to, I just can't emphasize that enough at the start. Um, so then the next dash section is those next two words are rung. Um, and so the word rung, W-R-U-N-G, that rung, um, 
it's to me it's almost like a laundry image like you know those clothes ringers where you there's the little um handle on the side that you have to turn and there's the two cylinders and they turn and you shove the clothes through and hopefully not your finger and then they just squeeze every last drop out of whatever fabric you've pushed into them it's that's the image that she's using for how to get essential oils out of a rose it's it's wrung out it's it's painful you have to kill the rose to do this you are mangling it um and it, it's just a sort of a powerful way to think about essential oils especially because most essential oils actually aren't i mean there's the pre you can press them but it would have also been really common to make rose water especially since we're talking about roses by almost like steeping the rose petals or you know finding there's evaporation methods there's so many methods for getting oil out of flowers and she's chosen to think of it as being squeezed being pressed and something that's very painful um as an image i would also like to point out um there's we're gonna look at the verbs as we go throughout this poem because she does a lot of really interesting things with them but the first one that the first verb we encounter is our rung and I would just like to point out it's normal. There's nothing weird about it. We haven't gotten into the weird stuff yet. She is still using time marking. So they are wrong. It's, we can tell kind of what's going on here. So enough for that chunk on to the next one. Um, and this one spans almost two lines. So it's the atter from the rose be not expressed by sons, right? So it's, those two lines we just have left out the word alone on the bottom of the third line there so in this case it's a it's a very big chunk but there's a couple points of interest i mean obviously she's using the word adder another just you know essential oil especially as applied to roses oh my gosh my phone i need to remember to shut that off <laughs> anyway um but the, the word that's of most interest to me here is we have the verb be and we have the word expressed um and obviously there's the not in the middle but the the this be expressed so when you're first reading it it seems strange it should be is it when you're reading it through the adder from the rose be not expressed it should say the rose the adder is not expressed in ordinary language and i've even seen one edition that edited it i was very angry with them but i think the be is important because this is where we've signaled the verb shift and what I what it seems to me that she's done here is that she's purposefully left off time markings so when you have is you're like that's obviously present tense that's what's happening here but when it's something is being it's less defined she's purposefully abstracting time from these verbs and we're going to see that throughout she just sort of leaves off the time markers of the verbs like if there should be an s ending to signify present tense she just sort of takes it off there's no s there's no ed she just is looking at these verbs in their raw form she's sort of zoomed out from this particular rose that is being wrung into essential oil and she's zoomed out into the way things are the being of things and the other word of interest here is expressed. So express in the sense of, you get the word pressed in it. We're still, we're still working with that image of pressing down the flowers, squeezing them, wrenching out the essence from them. But of course, also the word expressed is meaning um, what is, in, in this context here, the outer is be, not being expressed by sons alone. So what is being pressed out, what is being communicated in from the rose through this process the result is not just the result 
of the sons and then she's um this kind of runs into the next chunk i think alone it's just that one word set off by dashes and as we get through this poem which quickly turns into a metaphor for death no big surprise there um we that that little chunk kind of sticks with you when you first come across it it seems weird in context if you're reading line by line but the second time you're reading the poem or the third time hopefully you've read it you know you should you have to read these a few times um then that little alone standing off by itself can become significant just in a sort of aesthetic way where we're speaking about death we're speaking about the rose dying later we're going to have a human death in the poem and that little word alone it's just a little a little drop a little punch of of something that stands by itself sort of a reminder that everything in this poem is alone or will be ultimately in its essence so then on to that next chunk which is the last line it is the gift of screws right so um interestingly she switched from be back to is right um so this oil is the gift of screws so she seems to be kind of refocusing a little bit here but she's constantly shifting these verbs back and forth are and from that first from the first line the essential oils are wrong and is they seem to be the only verbs that are actually normal in the poem all the other ones have been tampered with um and then we get to the word screws which she capitalizes and to emphasize and it is the most important word in this line it is really only the i don't know how to really express it but it's the sort of only industrial word if you want to put it that way it's the only word um it's it's almost torturous i mean you think of like the thumb screw you're thinking of tools you're thinking of metal you're thinking of mechanicalized things um obviously we had that laundry image above but i mean you can wring laundry just with your hands i just prefer to think of the squeezy thing because it's more like i guess pressing in my mind um but the word screws here it it adds that something being the gift of screws it oh that's the problem she says it so well it's so hard to actually reword it in a way that makes it clearer um but i think we're just gonna leave it with the thumbscrew image being this the torture that we've applied to the rose is what has given us this gift and it's a little bit of a painful thought but there you have it so then there's the end of the first stanza we can move on to the next chunk so the general rose uh, that's the first three words of that first line of the second stanza and they're all capitalized so general and rose and i was i was thinking about this when i was reading over the poem once before and i'm not sure there's there's a couple ways i guess you could read it if you wanted to you could almost try and view it as a title like the general rose but i don't think that works with the the way that the poem has been going so far to me it almost seems as though she's i mean she is highlighting general in the sense of universal so again we're kind of zooming out as we were doing before with the verbs that she was tampering with above um but it's also almost reminiscent to sort of a a gardening handbook we have like you know the common clover or whatever so she's like the general rose sort of the ordinary common rose and general fits better with the meter than common so leave that be that as it may the <laughs> the next word chunk is just one word decay 
And so again, this almost echoes that alone, which stood by itself above on um, line three of the first stanza. So decay, it's just there, it's by itself. And again, if it wasn't set apart by dashes to be a separate little chunk, you'd think it would should be decays. It should have that time marking on it. It should be the general rose decays, right? To, to agree. But she's purposely changing up the subject verb agreement so that we can still piece together what she means, but she's removed time, she's removed agreement, and decay stands by itself. Now, it's not capitalized, though. So in the same way that alone isn't capitalized, and it's it's a small, she's kind of keeping the idea small on purpose, but also setting it aside, right? Um, so then the next chunks, but this, um, that's kind of just a transitional one. I'm not reading too much into that. Um, but I think it's more important that she's excluded those two words, but this, from the next chunk, right? So in ladies' drawer, make summer. Again, it should be make summer, but it's it's not. She's purposefully keeping the make perpetual, as it were. It's not like summer is being made in the drawer one time, right? It's which makes can kind of have the feeling of, with English verbs being as crazy as they are, but it make summer. It's perpetually making it. There's not really an end. It didn't wasn't summer what well, summer wasn't made, summer it wasn't being done one time which is crucial to the image of the poem, as we're going to see later. Um, but there's also a really important feminine bower image here, and it really plays into what you could almost interpret as the religious imagery of the poem as we go through. Um, but I'm, I keep getting ahead of myself. Um, so for right now, all I wanted to mention was the the image of the, the feminine bower. It's this, this lady's dressing table, right? And it's got all her perfumes in it. It's got all her stuff. Ladies' drawer is capitalized. It's sort of a special, a special place in which she keeps her rose oils, right? Something that's important to her, and it's it's the it's a place where you become beautiful, right? You go to your your little vanity or your dresser or whatever it is, and um, you sit there and you try and look as respectable as possible given the circumstances, and we get that that little image here, just a few words, but it's enough to give us the hint. And then the last the last chunk um, takes us to the end of the poem. And again, it's that half of a line and then the full last full line there. Um, and this is suddenly where we are hit with the, it shouldn't be a sudden hit really. I suppose if we've been paying attention from the beginning with the, the image of the rose dying, this shouldn't be that much of a surprise, but nevertheless, it can be a little startling. Suddenly you're talking about this the roses, and then we follow the rose through the process of extraction into oil, then we follow that into a lady's perfume drawer, and suddenly, the last chunk, when the lady lie in ceaseless rosemary. So, rosemary, this is, oh, it's just so beautiful, but it's a key image in the poem here. So the lady is, is dead. She's died. She has died. She's lying underground. She's not pushing up daisies. She's pushing up rosemary. And the, the image we get here is that the essence of rose is still in her drawer. It, it's almost as though, I mean, if you want to get really ahead of yourself, you can kind of picture, you know, there's this woman, she's died, and you're going through her, her dresser, and you find her little bottle, her little bottle of rose oil. And it's the rose that lasted one summer. Roses last a couple weeks, honestly, they're really not long-blooming flowers, but when you press them and get 
essence of them, that essence of summer, which is also influenced by the screws, as she mentioned above. So you're you're squeezing out and through the pain and dying of the rose, you get these few precious drops of what its essence really is. And that, the essence of a rose that lasted one summer, outlived a human being. And it's it's the rose is fine. It's its essence is trapped in that bottle and it's in her drawer, but the woman is dead and she's becoming rosemary she's growing and then of course we have it's a beautiful movement from rose at the beginning of the poem to rosemary the final word and rosemary is in the i mean there's so many ways you can interpret that as a symbol but the easiest way is to just sort of list it as the symbol of remembrance which it is in a lot of those victorian language of flower books i'm gonna put a link to that below there's this really i don't I think it's a great blog. It's super fun to read anyway. It's called The Wandering Botanist. Um, she's a really interesting article about rosemary and its history. Um, so that's kind of, that's where Dickinson leaves the poem. So the lady is lying, but it's in ceaseless rosemary, which in addition to being one of the most beautiful phrases I've come across in a while, it if you read it in that language of flower sense, in ceaseless remembrance, the woman is remembered and we're kind of left with the question is remembrance to for this woman for the for the human woman what the oil is to the rose is there a parallel there i mean it's open for your interpretation i would like to think yes um all right <laughs> Catherine, get it together so now i'm gonna sort of zoom out again we can look at the whole poem. We've I've discussed it sort of chunk by chunk, but then there's a lot of things you can say about the whole thing, and I do not have time to say them all. How long have I been talking? Oh my gosh, this whole thing. If the computer goes to sleep, I know it's been too long. Oh my gosh, it's been 20 minutes. Well, right. So I will just leave you with um, a small sort of interesting, th something to reflect on so that if you're doing a little of your own research about the poem, it kind of gives you something to go on. So um, it's kind of common practice to look for religious imagery in Emily Dickinson's writing, and obviously there's a lot more of a sort of Protestant Calvinist relationship with God going on, which she's rebelling against, but then is, I mean, she's clearly she clearly believes in God, but she knows, she doesn't, she rejects the sort of Calvinistic God that she's been given in her everyday Sunday church-going experience. Um, so I know it is a stretch, certainly, to have this interpretation, but because I think it's really beautiful, I'm going to mention it. Um, and that is a sort of Catholic image of Our Lady in this poem. And at first, kind of just jumped at me from um, Rosemary, right? So Rosemary is has traditionally been a symbol of the Blessed Virgin Mary. There's this great medieval story that I think, oh, I, n I never remember these things exactly. You're gonna have to look it up. I'm gonna put the link in the little article or whatever notes. Um, but when Our Lady is going into Egypt or in the flight into Egypt, she would hang her laundry. Some, some, some say she would hang her laundry on a rosemary bush, or some people would say that, um, she like cast her cloak over one. It depends on what kind of story you're looking at. Um, and then there was another medieval legend that the rosemary plants will only grow 33 inches high, one inch for every year of our Lord's life. So it's a very fabled plant, if you will, but one particularly tied to the life of 
the mother of our Lord. And we also are capitalizing lady kind of throughout the poem, right? So it's just interesting to to have that kind of, it's not necessarily an image, I would just call it more a, a hint, a sort of, if you, if you wish, kind of like a little, I don't know, lingering aroma. It's like when you smell cookies, but they're not here, but they're just, you can just kind of vaguely smell it. It makes you think of them in a pleasant way. And I think that's kind of what this imagery does for us here. It just kind of makes you think of that religious context without necessarily imposing it on the poem. It's just a gentle little whiff. So that is all that, well, I'm sure that's all you have time for in any case, if you're listening to me long enough, but it's just a great poem and please read it and think about it. And yeah, that's it for today. Obviously, if you have any questions, you can text me or email hardlyflowering at gmail.com and I'll talk to you again soon.